Thank you very much to the technical people and all the musicians and singers and Ollie for cheering. Haven't we sung some wonderful songs today? Haven't we a great saviour? Yeah, would you like to sing them all again? Because I would. Yeah, they're great songs. Our saviour, our redeemer lives and is coming again. Today we've arrived at Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. So let me read the next few verses to you. But now, look at that. But now, something's changed. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's wonderful. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. These verses in Romans have been described by one as the most concise summary of the gospel, and by another as the most important paragraph in the Bible. And this is God speaking to us today. So come, let us enter into the presence of God. And as we have sung, to get into the presence of being before the throne of God. So that we might discover the eternal efficacy of these words in your life and mine. And so we gather in the throne room of heaven where God, the judge of all, sits on the throne. And on his right hand is the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. As we look around, the galleries of heaven are filled with angels who ascribe holiness to God. This is awesome. And before God are the scrolls of humanity through the ages, where all the names of humanity are written. And the scrolls have been unrolled and examined. And it is announced that concerning all in every generation of the human race, there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. And there is silence. Every mouth is stopped. And the whole world is held accountable to God. We are each eternally separated from God by a great chasm of sin. We are lost. 
Man's inability to do anything to save himself is clear. And he stands facing the wrath of God against sin. The penalty to be paid. Death and eternal separation from God. We are in a real mess. And this is the verdict. Indeed, it is the conclusion reached in Paul from Romans 1, 18 to 3, verse 20. We need to get right with God, but we cannot put the record straight. Our only hope is that there should be offered to us a righteousness outside of ourselves and for it to be credited to our accounts. Is that possible? Then all heaven stirs as God the judge of all rises from his throne and pauses at the guilty names on the scrolls of time. And he turns and stretching out his arm towards the Lord Jesus Christ declares, but now, but now, but now, have you got it? Something's going to happen. But now, here is my righteousness. My only son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, has paid the penalty, will set sinners free, will grant forgiveness, and give them eternal life and everlasting joy. Here is God's own provision. And to us who were trapped helpless in the darkness of his wrath, he opens a window of grace and lets the light of salvation shine in. But now is a dramatic moment. The life belt is thrown to sinking sinners like you and me. And I sometimes wonder, did did an angel come down and hold Paul's hand as he wrote these stupendous words, but now, but now. God in Christ had walked into a stricken world and taken over. And this is the gospel, the good news, of which Paul is not ashamed. And it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And as we look at Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, we notice in his hands the mark of the nails. But we also see in his hands a book. The title on the cover, The Lamb's Book of Life, in which are written the names of all who believe in Jesus. Wow! I could never write my name in heaven, but Jesus has done it for me when I believed in him. Names written in the Lamb's book of life. And the question might be asked, but have any responded to the good news? The pages are turned in the Lamb's book of life to the first day that Peter preached this gospel. And on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. And how many thousands through the centuries since then? There's a story I like. About 30 miles from here in Huntley, in the year 1860, 
Folk from town and country had gathered in the castle park to hear Duncan Matheson preach. And one man who was saved that day said, I canna write my own name doon here, but it's been written in the blood by the finger of another up there in the Lamb's Book of Life. That sums it up. You need Jesus Christ to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. Praise the Lord for what he's done. And I just imagine all those galleries of heaven filled with angels 10,000 times 10,000, as the Bible says. And they sing out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and praise. The God whom we have sinned against, who justly condemns us, is the God who provides this righteousness. What we could not do, God has done. This is revealed and may be credited to you now and give you a righteous standing with God. You can be right with God. The gavel comes down in a moment. Those who believe are declared righteous and come from darkness into light. So many times through history it's been asked, how can I get right with God? From the days of Job to the Acts of the Apostles and even today. And here is the answer. The work and message of the cross is timeless and it's relevant today. How is all this possible? In these verses we read, there are five words that interlock perfectly together. Righteousness, justification, redemption, propitiation, and faith. And they're all wrapped up in the gift of grace. They are like the necessary ingredients in the recipe book. The necessary elements in the chemical equation to give the perfect required result. So the first one, righteousness. In verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is that word all again. But this time, it's saying all who believe. Yes, all fall short. But righteousness of God is available to all who believe. And how do we believe? Through faith in Jesus. God does not give up on you. Like the once beautiful cuddly toy that became the ragged worn toy, still loved and held onto by its young owner, and they go everywhere together. God goes everywhere with you. He's not going to give up on you. God picks up broken lives of humanity and says, I still love you. Let me restore you to what and where you've never been. In heaven like Jesus. We are broken, ragged, weary, worn and sad, messed up. But we were made in God's image. So not only are you unique outwardly, with your unique fingerprints, and the unique iris pattern round the pupils of your eye, but you were given the unique identity of a never-dying soul at conception. And that makes you very precious to God. There is not another you. 
And God wants to redeem you and have you in heaven eternal. No longer ragged and unlovely, but with all your rags discarded and clothed with the righteousness of Christ, like Jesus, lovely and loved by Jesus forever. Verse 23 also reminds us that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. What does it mean? Could we not attain to it? Well, we rightly use the illustration of a chasm or a distance that we cannot jump across. But is there more to it? Yes, we were created for the glory of God. But we have made other things our God. And we exchange the eternal glory of God for the temporal trash of life. We have traded our greatest treasure for junk food. We give glory to God, perhaps, a few hours' attention on Sunday and spend the rest of the week adoring the temporal pleasures of sin. We have trampled the glory of God in the dust and we have to face God's wrath. We were created for the glory of God and our duty is to live for the glory of God. But we have all failed. God is missing in the equation of our lives. You cannot balance the good you do against the bad you do and say, I'm okay. The glory of God is missing. It is lacking. We neglect God. We forget to thank God. We take life for granted. We love other things more than we love God. And the question must be asked by each of us. Where is God in my life? We lack, we fall short of God's glory. And this is why we need a saviour. Second word, justification. Verse 24, justified by his grace as a gift. Justification is a free gift of God's grace. You don't work for it. It's not a reward for success. The price is paid already. Jesus paid it all. And we live to thank him for the price he paid. Now justification is a legal transaction. And changes the judicial standing of the sinner before God. To one accounted with Christ's righteousness. Sins are pardoned and you're clothed with Christ's righteousness. Now, justification and the imputation of Christ's righteousness is instantaneous the moment you believe and is a gift given by God. You're justified freely by his grace and you're free from death and hell forever. Our justification is made possible by God's grace through Jesus' death on the cross And appropriated by you and me when we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Justification means that positionally you are in Christ. And practically you have started a new life. The resurrection of Jesus is God's public declaration of Christ's completed work on the cross. And confirms your justification. Let me tell you a story. 
It was about two years ago now. Alistair Begg was preaching in America. And in his preaching, he said this. The response to the gospel is not, I have done this or I have done that. The response is not in the first person, but in the third person, he. And then he said, imagine the thief on the cross arriving at heaven. I'd like to ask him, how did it all happen? You've never been to a Bible study? You've never been baptized? You've never been a church member? How did you make it to heaven? That must have been what the angel said. What are you doing here? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I I don't know. Excuse me, let me call one of my supervisors. And the supervisor comes and says, "Uh well, just a few questions. Are you clear on the doctrine of justification? Never heard of it. What about the doctrine of Scripture? No. 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 So on what basis are you here? And the thief looks at the angel and he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. And that is the only answer for all of us. The man on the middle cross said, you and I can come. Nothing of me, no. My salvation depends on Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Another wrote about that thief, redemption's earliest trophy stood from sin and death retrieved. How was the price paid by our third word, redemption? Verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Righteousness established through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption purchased at a mighty cost. Who paid the price? Jesus. How much of it did he pay? All of it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. By shedding his precious blood on the cross. For without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. Some verses in the Bible amaze me. They all amaze me, in fact. But Hebrews 9.12, the writer of Hebrews wrote about something which he called eternal redemption. That's interesting. Because nowhere else in the New Testament does anybody use that phrase. 
Paul never used it. He just said redemption. Hmm. But the writer to the Hebrews said eternal redemption. Shall I tell you why? Because when he used the word for redemption, he used the word lutrosis, which means the price is paid. And then he thought, oh, I've got to put an adjective in front of this to make it clear. Eternal redemption. You got it? It's not just the price is paid, but it's paid eternally. So why did Paul, when he wrote all his epistles, never say eternal redemption? He just said redemption, as we've read here. Because he didn't use the word lutrosis, he used apolutrosis, which doesn't just mean the price is paid, but the price is paid never to be paid again. Hallelujah! This is our redemption. The price is paid never to be paid again. The perfect righteousness of God is witnessed in the Savior's blood. It is in the cross of Christ we see how God can save yet righteous be. The sinner who believes is free, can say the Savior died for me, can point to the atoning blood and say, this made my peace with God. About four months ago, one Sunday morning, I was called to the hospital to see one of our brothers who was not expected to to last the day. And it was one of those unusual moments. Um, And I went with him from this place to that place. And he was very weak. I shared faith with him. I prayed with him. There was little strength in him to say anything. But eventually there was one thing he said, and it was this, on Christ the solid rock I stand. I'll never forget that. That is what made the difference. If he was to die within 24 hours, he was standing on Christ the solid rock. But he's lived And he's been in hospital for four months, now in a nursing home. But every time I see him, and every time we leave each other, this is the motto we repeat. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. That's real assurance. That's the assurance you and I both need. Behold him there, the risen lamb. My soul is purchased with his blood. God paid a high price to redeem you. Don't mess around with his wrath. And don't mess around with his grace. His grace is available today. The fourth word, propitiation. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The sacrifice of Jesus was put forward. It was displayed publicly at the cross. And propitiation is the appeasement and the satisfaction of God. Christ is the propitiation by his blood. And at the same time, he is the appeaser of God's wrath. He wipes out the record of our sins by shedding his own blood. And he turns away God's wrath against us by taking it upon himself. 
And it was done in the shedding of his own blood. Jesus is our substitute. And the fifth word is faith. All this is received by faith. Verse 25. The righteousness of God is received by faith in the propitiation for God and the justification for you and me. Now, faith in Jesus is not just mental assent, but it's total trust and total dependence on Jesus alone. There we are, we're back to it again. Christ alone, cornerstone. We are sinners and we need a saviour. But such wonderful propitiation reaches backwards as well as forwards. And in the forbearance of God, the former sins, verse 25, were not ignored. And the words passed over is not remission of sins, but it's a withholding of the judgment for a period of time. Like the credit card accumulates the costs, but they have to be paid one day. And that one day was at the cross where Jesus bore sins, past, present, and future, and where we see the demonstration of God's righteousness in redemption, propitiation, and justification, and Jesus becomes the Savior of the world and the Savior for you and me. And the wholeness of this salvation is actually wonderfully demonstrated in an amazing way. Because think about this. We were redeemed in the marketplace of sin. The propitiation was made on the altar. And we are justified in the throne room of heaven. All provided by God. By the free gift of grace to be received by faith by all who believe. Why? To show God's righteousness in every sector of the universe. It's a wonderful salvation we have. To show his righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Christ's death on the cross was the satisfaction of divine justice. It was substitutionary. He took punishment due to others and paid the penalty. God remains just and his holiness is satisfied. The penalty due to the believing sinner is reckoned to Christ's account and the righteousness of Christ is reckoned to believing sinner's account. Redeemed and forever I am. Knowing Jesus on the cross... That's just history. But believing Jesus died for me, that is salvation. So don't leave it over there. You've got to get Jesus into your heart. You've got to receive him. And God knocks on the door of your life today and picks you out from the thousands around you in this city and whispers, this message from me is for you. Do not walk past Jesus. Do not trample his sacrifice under your feet. He is the only Savior. Accept him now and move from that dirty road to hell to the royal road to heaven. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth and you will be saved. I ask you again, where is God in your life today? 
An eagle was seen enjoying his meal on an ice floe above Niagara Falls. He had done this many times before and flown off the ice floe in time. But this time, he lifted his mighty wings to fly. But he found that his talons had frozen into the ice floe. And over the falls he went. He thought he knew the second to take off. But it was too late. Sin can suddenly destroy us. Escape now. And settle your salvation by telling Jesus you are a sinner away from God and want to be saved. You need Jesus in life. You need him in death. You need him in eternity. But you need him today. Why? Because he's coming back soon for all who believe. Just consider these things. And let's now sing our closing hymn together. Our closing hymn is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in the blood. This is my story. This is my song. <laughs>